probably preaching to 10 times as many as we would in a normal Sunday in the past, and now we trust that uh, that'll just continue on as uh, even more so with on campus as well as off campus. But uh, things I've never even heard of before, Zoom, I, what in the world is that? But we Zoom, uh, we text, we email, we uh, YouTube, uh, we Instagram, you know, we Facebook, uh, uh, we text message, we email, you name it, folks, podcast, and there's a whole host of other things we've been doing. Honestly, I think we have all been busier here at the church than we were before. I mean, and uh, we... It, uh, put us all out of our comfort zone for sure. And to be sure, that's a tremendous benefit. And I, we've had people watching from around the world. And to that, we, to that end, we are very grateful. And there have been many benefits. And yet, all that being said about a church, the fact is that a Bible-based church is never less than a gathering assembling is the very essence of church. It is not just a good thing to do. <laughs> it's not just a, you know, a thing that's a privilege. The fact is, it is what church is. In fact, the very name church means gathering. That's exactly what it means. It means assembling. So if you don't church, if you don't gather, you don't have church. And I know there's lots of Bible lessons out there and for all the good that Bible lessons do, and for all the good that praying together and sending your prayer request to this ministry or that ministry, that's all good. But biblically speaking, and I can tell you after four decades of uh, dealing with people, God's people, nothing can replace the local New Testament gathering of God's people. If there is no assembly, there's no church. It's just a fact. We thank the Lord that we had, even though we had to be out of church for a time, God continued us going. But the fact is, we are here to maybe reevaluate what we're doing. Maybe a better term is revalue. Treasuring the gathering. Maybe might be even an unsaid uh, subtext of what we're talking about here the gathering place. And that's the series title, The Gathering Place, where people become spiritual family. And so, would you join us in prayer? And for those of you listening uh, online and other places, God bless. Let's pray. Father, oh God, it's been a joy to be here, Lord. These are amazing people, faithful people, Lord. The church of God here in Lodi and Stockton in this region. Now, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, meet with us here. And for those that are joining us, Lord, around the world perhaps, and those later on, God, would you just bless each one and would your anointing come on each of us, and we pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, we're going to be going all over the Bible here this morning because the type of this message is to just like a spiritual lawyer, I want to prove the case that folks, without gathering, we don't have church. Now, to be honest, I think all of us would have to say to at least some degree, we have taken gathering or churching somewhat for granted. I mean, we might miss a service and say, oh, well, it's not a big deal. But meeting as a church now has become so much more. We recognize exactly that is what a church is all about. We put our meetings out there. In fact, we call them services. <laughs> I've often thought about that term. I'm not quite sure what a service is, but it, it is a gathering. 
It is a meeting. It is a time when we church together. We tell everybody, let's meet at 10.30 or let's meet at 6 p.m. Let's meet on Wednesday night because why? Because church is about meeting. It's about a visible group meeting in a unique place for a meeting time. These services, these gatherings are fundamentally what a church is. Now, up front, let me clarify, especially for those of you that are watching and will be watching, who I'm referring to and who I'm not referring to. I don't want to let any of us off the hook here. If the Holy Spirit wants to convict us, amen, let's, let's, uh, let's let Him do that. But we all know that there are times when there are legitimate uh, obstacles to meeting together. Sometimes uh, there are restrictions imposed. Sometimes people are sick. Other times they're working. Some have compromised health and others are in a transition time. And so as a result of that, uh, there are a lot of people who would love to be in church. And people have texted me an email. Those have called me and said, Pastor, I'd love to be there, but they have some different things. And you want, we want you to know that uh, you are loved and there's no shame, no blame. You're only going to get love from us for sure. And we're standing with you, and we're with you all the way, and we're eagerly anticipating each of your return, and we hope that you'll be back soon. Don't be too long now. Uh, we'll be coming out there finding you. But, uh, but yet, with all that being said, fundamentally, in Scripture, church is gathering. How do we know that? Well, throughout the Old Testament, God's people gathered together. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse number 10. Now, I want you to picture with me Israel. They have been imposed atrocious restrictions by their government. Pharaoh came on top of them and said, you can't go here, you can't go here. You have to work from this long to this long. Tremendous, oppressive restrictions. You can worship, but you can't do this. You can do this, but you can't do that. With, for all of uh, Egypt's uh, uh, modern technology at that time and all of their education, the tract is, they were a totalitarian nightmare. God's people were being imposed upon by their government. And then God just came through and they got saved. They put the blood on the, on the mantle there on the doorpost and it pictured the cross of Christ and God delivered them through Jesus Christ. Pharaoh came to Moses and kept offering compromise. You can worship together, but only so far. You can go here, but you can't do that. I couldn't help but not feel the association between Pharaoh and Moses and the people of God and in our situation today. There's just so many restrictions. And that was the day that Moses was under. But Moses stood strong. He said, no, nope, we're going to meet together. We're going to worship God somehow, some way. We got to get through this. And God came through for them. And God just gave them a great victory. And so what did they do? They congregated. They gathered together. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10. Let's all read it together uh, as a uh, quiet recitation, if you would, please. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse number 10. Ready? Begin. And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God. And on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. Wow. The day of the assembly. Pastor Moses stood up with 
the Word of God, written by the finger of God. And brothers and sisters, that's what we're doing here today. I'm no Moses, but I'm telling you, I'm, I've got that which was written by the finger of God, and I am here to preach it to us, and I am here in the gathering, in the assembling. But they gathered together. What a powerful picture that was. What an important time that was. After all the restrictions in Egypt, to finally come out there and to gather together and to hear that which was written by the finger of God. And so they did that. It was such a powerful testimony. Even in the New Testament, Deacon Stephen, 2,000 years after that moment, he said it was a beautiful thing, and he clarified what happened in the Old Testament. Look at Acts chapter 7, verse 38. Acts 7, verse 38. This is he, Moses, Moses and the people of God, that was in the church in the wilderness. It was a church out there. That's what they were saying. Deacon Stephen said, they just had church out there in the middle of the wilderness. Why'd they call it the wilderness? Because it's wild. Brokes, it is wild out there right now. It is a wilderness in America right now. It is a wilderness in this world. And so what should we do? We should meet together with the lively oracles, it says here. They received the living word. That's what that means, the living word. Not some dead law, not some dead old uh, religious uh, concept. No, the living word of God from a living God. And they met together and they worshiped that God. And so they met together. The Old Testament has many gatherings. These were not just one-off happenings. No, they often met together. Part celebration, part instruction. They laid battle plans. Look at Judges chapter 20 and verse number one. Then all the children of Israel went out and the congregation was gathered, not scattered, gathered. The congregation was gathered together. Why? They had to lay some battle plans. It was a congregation. The tribes of Israel came together as a congregation, presented themselves into the, in the assembly of the people of God. The leaders of Israel were facing a great threat, and so they said, we need to meet together. We have to defend our family. We have to defend our freedoms. And so they said, let's assemble and let's strategize. Let's lay the groundwork for a good battle plan. And so they came, they got their marching orders, and they went out there, and God gave them victory. I will tell you, the devil does not like it when God's people get together, celebrate, worship, and lay the battle plans, because he's the one that's the, the result of, he's going to be at the end of that. And that's what God's people do when they come together. We lay the battle plan, we get our marching orders. There was that wonderful day back in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 14, when Solomon's temple was dedicated, a place, a gathering place was dedicated and the Shekinah glory of God. And I've heard people say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, fills people, not buildings, but I'm not so sure about that. The Old Testament validates that actually God can fill places. And I've been places when I've felt the presence of God, I will tell you. And I think it's maybe the people and the Spirit in all those people, maybe that's what it is, I will say that. But I will say that God's glory came when the temple was, was put together and dedicated. 
Look at 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 14. And the king, and we find preacher Solomon, the king turned his face about. God was there. He just was, it was such a blessing. He blessed all the congregation of Israel. And that's one of the job of a preacher is to bless the people. I bless you. May God's face shine upon you and bless you. And that's one of the things you want. We all want the blessing of our parents. We want the blessings of our leaders. We want the blessings of those who love us. We want the bl- I want the blessing of my wife. And I knew I want the blessings of your husband. We all want the blessings. Well, I want to tell you, I'm here to bless you. I'm here to tell you, I bless you for coming. I bless you for listening. I, I bless each of you. And that's what Solomon, he blessed them. What did he do? He blessed the congregation. If you weren't in the congregation, you missed the blessing. Those that came to the temple that day, um, other folks said, I got to do this or I got to do that. No, the people who came got a blessing. And as a result of that, look what it says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 14, and all the congregation of Israel stood. They stood. They said, I received that. I received that blessing. Folks, stand up if you would with me, please. Stand up. I bless you. I bless you in the name of the Lord. I pray pray God's mighty favor on each of you and upon your homes and upon your lives and upon your health and upon your finances. And may God just bless you today. And all the people stood. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a hand. God wins. Thank you. You can be seated. Back in the Old Testament. Why did Solomon do that? Because his dad had set such a great example. His dad went to church. First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 8. Now therefore in the sight of all the Israel, the congregation and the audience of God. In this congregation, we're not only welcoming each other, we're welcoming God. The Holy Spirit is in each of us and we trust His presence is with us. And it says here that Solomon, or excuse me, David said, in the congregation, he said, I want you to keep and seek the commandments of God. Pastor David gave such a great example He said, I want you, so we gather, get the word, and then go. That's a pretty good theme right there. Gather, get, and go. (laughs) And that's what we do. We don't just gather, just to gather, just to gather. No, we gather, we get, and then we go. We go out there, and that's what David was saying here. He was saying, now, go out there and do the work of God. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people gathered Throughout the New Testament, God's people gathered over 115 times. There is the word church in the New Testament. Three times, the same word is translated as assembly. It is a compound word, a Greek word, ekklesia. It comes from two words, ek, meaning a preposition, meaning out of, and a verb, kaleo, signifying, therefore, a called out assembly, ekklesia. Now, ecclesia is not actually a religious word. Now, we call our ministries, you know, ecclesia this or ecclesia that. Sometimes we even use the word ecclesia, but the fact is, it is actually not a Christian or a religious word. It's a secular word. It just means assembling together. It actually is a verb, but we've made it a noun. <laughs> Let's go to the ecclesia, but it actually was you. You gather, you, it's a churching, it's an ecclesia, you come together, it's, a, it's an assembling. 
It's somewhat like the word Baptist. You know, um, people who have the doctrinal persuasion of Baptist, like we are, are unashamedly that doctrine and may not be on our church sign, but that's our background. But the word Baptist actually is a, is a verb. To baptize means to dunk somebody. But back in the day, they baptized so many people that they just started calling them the Baptists. It became a noun, a, a person, place, or a thing. And a church is that. In fact, the English equivalent church is a word for circle. And so it's a, it is a secular word, ecclesia. The English word given to us by the translators actually means circle. Really, all of it's trying to simply say it is a place. And now we people, the whole point is Christians gathered so much that they became a noun instead of just a verb. I mean, they were so, they were always assembling. They're always assembling. They're just called the assemblers. They're the gatherers. Why do they always want to gather? Because it's just amazing. It's amazing when you gather what God does. We read of Saul, newly minted preacher Saul, who would become Paul. He is going to get the glorious opportunity to preach Acts chapter 11, verse 26. How does he get this chance? Do they uh, put a billboard up and say, come, and, uh, or do they say, you know, Paul or Saul now is a Christian? No billboards, no leaflets, just gather, and then there at the church, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, when they had found him, Saul, now saved man, glory to God, radical transformation from a crazy religious zealot nutcase to a God-fearing, wonderful Christian. And he came, they brought him, they brought him to Antioch. Why? It says for a whole year, they did what? They assembled with the church. Again, there's that word church, which is now used as a noun. It is a place. It is, it is in Antioch. And it says that he taught what? Much people. He didn't just have little Bible studies or one or two people. It says much people came together into Antioch. I, they may have had a place big enough. The, they oftentimes used the Jewish uh, temples there. and There might have been a minor temple there in the Antioch, or maybe they used a synagogue, or they might have just been outside, or they might have been in some big uh, rich uh, estate or something. But the fact is they were much people in that church, and they all met together. And it says that they were, they were disciples of Christ. They were followers, dedicated ones who really follow the Lord. It takes a while to become a dedicated follower. That's what a disciple is. We're not talking just about those 12, you know, Peter, James, and John, those guys. We're talking about all the people who were dedicated, sold-out followers, and it says they were Christ ones. How did they become Christ ones? They hung around a God-fearing Christian. One lady, younger lady, hung around a, maybe a senior lady who was just such a godly lady. Pretty soon she became a Christ one. I've often thought one of the best questions I think we can ask people that we're talking to, are you a follower of Christ? That's a good lead-in, isn't it? Are you a follower of Christ? That puts it right down where it's at, you know? Not you know, do you go to church or not? You know, what is your belief system? Are you a follower of Christ? And at least in this country we live in, that's a 
question that pretty much everybody has an answer to. It's either yes or no, or used to, or maybe, or, you know, whatever. But a follower of Christ, they were Christians who met together, and preacher Paul preached to them in a group, the eternal Word of God. They sang, they worshiped, they fellowshiped. Wow, what a great thing. Now, what day of the week did they do that? Well, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Look at Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, that's Sunday. Now, the word Sunday, I know, is a, a word that's named after some, you know, pagan god, sun god this or whatever. But the fact is, I don't worship the sun god on Sunday. It just has become synonymous with what a church does. The fact is, the real term is first day of the week. In fact, if you want to get more technical, the book of Revelation calls it the Lord's Day. I love that phrase, don't you? That's why Sunday is special, because it's the Lord's Day. It's not the Son's Day, unless you want to spell it S-O-N. It's not the S-U-N Day. It is the Son's Day, S-O-N. It is the Lord's Day. It's the first day. Why is it the first day? They met every day, but they kind of... Uh, elected this new way of meeting, and that is at least on the first day, in honor of the resurrection of Jesus. That's why they called it the Lord's Day, because the word Lord is the Greek form of anointed one, the Messiah. We're going to meet, and that's what made him the Messiah. He was resurrected. He's not a dead, just old religious teacher. great teacher. You talk to some of these religions, they say, oh, he, Jesus was a great teacher, or he was a real prophet. No, he is Messiah God. He is Lord. He is God in the flesh. He is the one. That's why it's his day. It is the Lord's day. It says on the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. Hallelujah. Praise God. They didn't have just a little tiny little piece of cracker. They broke bread. I'm talking about some good bread. They had, they ate together. I'm sure they were socially distant, but I'm telling you what, they ate together. It was beautiful, wonderful. It says he preached first day of the week. They came together. Are you getting the picture? First day of the week, they came together. They didn't scatter. They came together. What did they do? They broke bread. Why? Because they got hungry. Why did they get hungry? Well, look, Paul preached unto them until midnight. And I promise you, if you want me to sit there till midnight, you better feed me. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. They had night church. (laughs) I'm telling you what, you ought to avail yourself of night church. And we don't have night church right now, but it's coming, bless God, unless you just want to play this uh, YouTube video over, you know, tonight. But the fact is, Paul preached unto them and they ate together. I mean, look at this group. They met on the first day of the week, they preached, they had food, then they had night church. I'm telling you what, folks, that just sounds an awful lot like what happens at the home church or what used to happen at the home church, and by God's grace is going to happen. Now, there are four features of the church as a gathering place. Number one, churches gathered regularly. Churches gathered regularly. Now, when did the church start? I know... Many had the idea that it started on the day of Pentecost, and I'm not in a big argument about that. I know one thing, the day of Pentecost was an amazing day for the church, but Jesus talked about the church during his earthly ministry. He said, gather the church. I have a hard time believing in saying, someday there's going to be something called the church, and when that happens, gather together. I think the idea is it started then. (laughs) 
Jesus, we're told in the book of Hebrews, sang in the church. Well, okay, anyway. So I think it probably started sometime during the life of Christ. But the fact is, they, after Jesus rose from the dead, they uh, had this fledgling uh, grouping, these assemblies. It was a wonderful thing. They said, man, we better. They went into emergency mode after Jesus rose from the dead. And so look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. It says, daily, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Maybe that's what we ought to start doing. Maybe we ought to just go ahead and meet daily. Just meet daily. It says they met daily in the temple. Not online. Not uh, via email. They met in the temple. The uh, Jewish leaders probably weren't real happy about it to allow these Christians to have a part of the temple, but they allowed it. They tried to, you know, uh, accommodate these people. It says they met in the temple again. They also ate bread from house to house. They had gladness. Now, folks, this was not an easy thing. They had to leave their uh, place of employment. They leave their homes. There was no mass transit. There might have been six camels all together, you know, in a line like that, but there was no subway down to the temple. It took a while to get there. I mean, it might have taken, it was, you know, the other day we were someplace and I looked on the little Google, Google thing and said the half mile. We could, I said, well, we could walk there. Good night, a half mile takes you about 30, but it takes me about 30 minutes. My wife's a little faster walker than I am, but I thought, good night. I thought that on, the, on that little app thing looked like it was right around the corner. But uh, folks, if they were even a half mile from the temple, it'd take them a while, especially with all the kids, you know, and everybody. So it was not easy. The point I'm making is it was inconvenient to come to church, and yet they did it daily. They did it daily. Now, you got to know this is an agrarian society. They just often, you know, in the, uh, related to something about uh, agriculture. And so maybe in the afternoon when it's so piping hot, like it was here last week, you know, they'd take the afternoon off. Well, let's go on down to the church house. We'll take a time off from all of our field work. But let's go on down. They didn't clean all up, maybe. They just said, let's go on down. They went down to the uh, temple and they gathered together. Why? There just was something very settling. This was a very difficult time right now. Their master was gone and things were happening left and right. I mean, the society was in an uproar, and there's, uh, there was restrictions, and there was craziness everywhere. And so they said, the safest place we can be is in church. They said, well, you might die in church. Good place to die, amen. But uh, so they said, we're going down there to the church, and that's what they did, and so daily. Now, later on, they just kind of went to a first a day of the week as the standard procedure, but originally, boy, they were meeting every day. Notice what Paul said. In chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he said not only did they preach and did they sing, it says they come together for a symbolic supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, first of all, when you come together in the circle, as the English word is, in the ecclesia, when you come together, you have to come, you come together, and then it says, as it says in 1 Corinthians 11, they have a Lord's Supper. They didn't send out the Lord's Supper via disciples' DoorDash, you know. 
It wasn't, uh, you know, rent a rector, come out there with a little piece of wafer and said, oh, put it on your tongue. No. They came to the church and they had the Lord's Supper there because they knew it was critical to gather. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23, it says, wherefore, when the whole church come together in one place, you can't get a more definitive statement than that. The whole church come together in a place, one place, not 10 places, not 20 places, the whole church in one place. They, there's power in that. Why? Because the church is called the body of Christ. And that's, think about that. We have hands, we have feet, we have mouths and heads, and we have all these body parts. Folks, we need our hands. Now, if our hands are missing, we're not going to be able to grab anything. If our feet are missing, we're going to be able to grab things we can't get anywhere. We need the whole body here so it functions. I need everything working. The older I get, things stop working. But I want everything working. Everything working together in one place. When did they do it? 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Notice this wonderful pattern. On the first day of the week, there's that phrase again, everyone, everyone lay by him in store. Ah, here, one of the reasons we have for meeting together, so you can bring your offering. It gives you a point. Here's what I would say. It's very challenging for some folks to give consistently unless every week they know there's going to be a point. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, just like in the Old Testament when you would bring your offering to the temple, imagine those Jewish people coming up to the temple in the Old Testament. Here's uh, Brother Benjamin bringing up his little uh, lamb, and here comes Brother Jacob bringing up his little goat, and I'm walking up nothing. I just walk up empty-handed. Now, I've, if I was any kind of a person, I'd be very embarrassed because everybody else knows what the reason behind, we are meeting together bringing our offerings to the Lord so that there could be meat in the house so that we can get out there and to spread the good news. That's the point. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, even so, even like they did that in the Old Testament, even so, so we meet on the first day of the week, we bring our collection together so that it's not sitting in our account. Because I will tell you, if you let that tie sit in your account very long, it's very tempting to use it for something temporarily, right? Boy, if you're not careful, it's gone. So they meet together for all kinds of reasons, including bringing their offering. They not only met regularly, they met specifically. Specifically, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 19, yet in the church, there's that phrase again, in the church. I've heard people say, well, you know, you don't go to church, you are the church. Well... I know that's a nice thing to, kind of nice little phrase, but the fact is, you also are in church. The Bible's very clear about that. You're in church. Paul said it. That's good enough for me. Yet in church, I had rather speak five words with understanding, five specific words. They, they came for a specific reason. They sang specific songs. They sang at a specific place. They had a specific day. They had a specific time. They all knew when to meet. They knew where. There were specific people. The whole church. 
well, how do I know the whole church is here if there's not a whole church? I know who the church is. You have to know the names. In fact, in the book of Acts, how do we know that 25,000 people got saved on that day? Because they took their names down. It was a it was a nightmare of trying to get all those people and those 3,000 people got baptized on that one day. What a nightmare of trying to write down everybody's name. What's your name? And they write it down. And they, they, who got baptized? They knew specifically because they were, they were in, they were speci- there is a specificness to going to church. And it says, here he was, he spoke these words. A church is meant to come together and to get your batteries recharged. Years ago, when, uh, as a pastor, you know, we've been remodeling for all these years. When we first came, was an old building on the east side of Stockton, and um, we didn't have power saws. Uh, this was the power right here, boy. I mean, to tell you, we had hand saws. And I remember helping Brother John Redinger. He was a friend from college, and he came there to help do some renovations and and, it, man, I, I tell you, I thought, man, this is going to kill me if I, I was sawing, you know. And, and uh, we didn't have anything as a power screwdriver, man. I mean, you'd screwdriver like this. And then everything got a cord on it, a power saw, a power, you know, a screwdriver. Man, this is the greatest thing ever. And then it went to batteries. When we first started this building 20 years ago, uh, they had all these, bat- these little guns with batteries on them. And I thought, there is no way in the world those things are going to be able to put this building together with a, with a battery? Come on, give me a, something with a cord on a big, strong, you know, electric thing. And that one of our brothers took one of those big old those battery screw guns. He took a self-drilling uh, little uh, um, screw there, and he drilled through a quarter-inch piece of steel just like nothing. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Here's what we found. Here's what we did find. Batteries are powerful. I mean, and they're very versatile. And man, it's convenience like crazy. But I'll tell you one thing. Once that thing is dead, it is dead. It is not. You got you to gotta have your batteries charged. And folks, when we're apart so much, we're losing our power and we're not able to get the job done. That's what church is. It's, we're here to get recharged. And you've got to take those little batteries, you know, you've got to put them in the little thing there, keep them charged up. That's what we're doing. And I, how do you know when it's charging? There's a little light on there and the little light. And that's what I do. I'm looking at your life and saying, okay, the light's coming on there. You're, you're getting charged up. Amen. <laughs> we're here to charge you up. And that's what they were doing back then. Now, I will tell you folks, and you need to hear this, that for several years, there has been an anti-God, anti-church bias in our country. Hard to believe a country founded on biblical principles. Hard to believe when the first institutions of our country were churches. By the way, the church was here before the government, just, just so our government knows that. And uh, you need to get permission from us for things. But anyway, um, so they were the, they, the, uh, this country has been attempting to every possible way to get us to not together. They have tried arbitrary Zoning laws, you can't have a church over there. Why? Because it's in the rural area. Why? Well, what's that have to do with it? We don't know. It's just a zone. Okay. You can't have it in the industrial area. Why? Because it's industrial. Okay. Well, you can't have it in the business area because that's where businesses are. (laughs) Okay. Well, you can't have it in the residence areas because they don't like the traffic. Okay. Let me get this right. 
We can't have it in the county. We can't have it in the, in the rural areas. We can't have it in the business area. We can't have it in the industry. So where are we going to have a church? Well, I don't know. You have to have a special permit. Oh, you need a permit. Then they said you have to register. If you're, a, if you're going to be a church, you have to register. If you're going to be, and they, because you're a nonprofit. I'm not a nonprofit. Well, we are a nonprofit, but um, by practice. But uh, we, no, we are a church. We don't need to register as a nonprofit, but the government loves to do that. Then they saw the church as a great source of revenue, having all this property. So they figured out, okay, you don't have to tax, we don't tax you. They just came with all kinds of fees. So we pay thousands of dollars of fees. They're just fees. They're not taxes because <laughs> churches are tax-free. Oh, okay. And so then uh, they've tried every way to get us to avoid gathering. The mayor of Houston a couple years ago, he was so upset about what he saw as hate speech, he required every pastor to send a copy of their message to make sure they weren't down on the LGBT or whatever you call that group. I mean, really? Send my... yeah. I wonder what kind of sermons some of those pastors sent to him. But anyway, uh, they, they decided not to continue with that. And I will tell you folks that they are saying now, avoid gathering, really. They've been saying that for years. Well, it's, it's a new thing. Well, I, it, no, it's not. It, they've been trying it in one way or the other all this time. I read this week some syrupy short uh, story, uh, some little idea from little, uh, some religious liberal they said, you don't need to gather because the Bible says you should just go into a closet by yourself and pray. You can pray in silence, in private. You don't need church. Well, I can tell you right now, that Bible verse has nothing to do with church. That is talking about you should not, because it goes on to say, don't be like the Pharisees who would go out into the street corners. I'm not on the street corner. I'm in church of God, and we are here to pray and to preach. That's God's Word. And yes, I pray in private, but we're here to, as a group, pray. That is the Bible way. That's the Old Testament way. That's the New Testament way. Folks, people need the Lord, and people need people. And that's why God said we need to be together, not just in a closet somewhere. People need people. People need God in the flesh. They need little Jesuses in their life. They need people who portray the life of Christ. Churches gathered regularly, specifically. Number three, they gathered largely. They gathered largely. Now, the anti-churchers tell us, mistakenly, all churches in the New Testament were small, really. All churches in the New Testament met in houses, really. All churches in the New Testament were not organized. They were not institutional. Really? Hmm. Interesting. The body of Christ is a body. Oh, but they're not organized. The hand does what it wants. You know, all the time. Oh, yeah, unorganized hand. No, man, I want you to get together. Okay. I want an organized hand. I want an organized foot. The church was organized. It's the body of Christ. There were thousands of believers. Notice what it says, Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. The church by this time was tens of thousands. Folks, there were thousands of believers in Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch is part of the temple. 
Solomon's temple, or Zerubbabel's temple, but they called it Solomon's porch, but it was this portico that was open and people came, men, women, children. I mean, it was just amazing. The church of God met together. It was large. Interesting, people like to just say, oh, well, you know, all you need to do is just have a little Bible study. No, there's organization. Then why did God say, if you're going to have a pastor, here's the rules. If you're going to have deacons, here's the rules. Why did he say first day of the week? There's so much, there's so much organization and even institutionalists to Scripture, to the Bible, to the Word of God, to the churches, Acts chapter 2 verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord in one place. They were together, all of them, in one what? Place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a sight of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. What filled the house? The power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, there is an exponential power when you have one person praying, that's power. You have two persons praying together, that's worth 10. In fact, the Old Testament said two of you shall put, what, 10,000 to flight? There's a, because there's a, there's a power, an extra power about praying together. Jesus said, if two of you agree, you can move, you can do anything because there's power in a group praying. Why did the Holy Spirit fill the house? Folks, if you've got two people filled with the power of God, it's amazing. You've got three people, it's incredible. You've got ten, and just wow. You've got a thousand spirit-filled people worshiping with all their God, might, and just connecting to God and praying and Man, that's you've got 10,000 people in the same place, all just worshiping and connecting and lifting, as the epistles say, holy hands, people with right hearts. I'm telling you what, folks, it says, and it filled the house. The Holy Spirit filled the house. I've been praying, Lord, fill the house today. Fill the house with spirit-filled people. They gathered largely. And number four, they gathered distinctly. They had distinct activities. They had things that they did that you can't do anywhere else. Think about it. There are things that we do in church that you can't do anywhere else. Amen. Absolutely no other place. Have you, did you know that in scriptures there's over 100 times the New Testament says one another? There's things that you're supposed to do for one another. Now, last time I checked, you can't do a one another thing by yourself. Look what it says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. There's that phrase. One another in Psalms, that's singing scripture. In hymns, that's singing doctrine. And spiritual songs, that's singing testimonies. And so it says you're supposed to, you're supposed to sing the Psalms, you're supposed to sing doctrine to one another. Now, unless you have a split personality, you're not going to be able to sing to one another. And I'm in my closet singing to one another. Hey, Tim, believe the Bible. I believe the Word of God. Oh, Tim, thank you. I thank you for singing to me. Oh, Tim, thank you. Thank you for singing to me. Folks, that's what would happen if we didn't have church. You cannot fulfill the 100 times it says do something for one another. People say, well, when we praise, God is our audience, yes. 
but also people are our audience. That's why a lot of our hymns actually speak to the saints, you know. Rise up, O man of God. That's singing the hymns. That's preaching to one another. That's a singing songs, singing hymns and doctrine and singing testimonies. Folks, that's what happens in a gathering place. You can't do that by yourself. It is important to come together. Paul gave us a rundown of what should happen in church. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, till I come. Timothy, preacher Timothy, here's what I want you to do. In church, give attendance, reading, quietly of course, exhortation, and doctrine. Folks, God said we ought to do these things together. You'd say, well, pastor, aren't you concerned about people that don't wash their hands? I'm more concerned about people who don't wash their hearts. People say, well, pastor, aren't you concerned about social distancing? I am more concerned about sin distancing. I think we ought to distance ourselves from sin more than we ought to be more interested in that. So people say, well, what about the spread of germs? Look, my goal is the spread of the gospel, and we need to do that together. That says, God says, come together and meet as a, as a group. And when we do that, there is power. There is unique power. You know, 20 years ago, we had to fight to be able to have this place. Fight. To have this place because there was a crazy anti-church, anti-God group that said it'd be better to have weeds than it would be to have the Word. There are people that kind of nut cases, but by God's grace, we won the day. Well, how'd we do that? We went to the Board of Supervisors. Now, the Board of Supervisors are five people. Now, each one of those five are individuals. They are fine people in their own right, I'm sure. They, uh, some are ranchers, some businessmen, uh, police officers. They have many walks of life. You might be sitting next to one of the supervisors at a restaurant, have a little relationship with them. One of the former supervisors I get the privilege of playing golf with quite often. We talk about things. So they're individuals. Now, as individuals, they have a certain amount of power influence. But when I stood before them, five individuals, 20 years ago, and I had to speak on behalf of the church, I did not say, I speak to all of you individuals on the board. I called it, I said, may it please the board. One, individuals all having their own amount of power, influence, whatever, but when they came together, they were a board. When a lawyer, for the mat check, goes before uh, the, the, uh, the judge, he says, uh, may it please the court. There may be more than one judge, there may be more, but it's the court. It's the board. Why? Because when we come together, we're the church. Individuals, all with our different power, all with our different things we do, but together we're an entity. Together we're a power. We're a special power. And that's what God says here. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are gathered together, my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus. What makes church special? It is a group that becomes one. It is where the power of God comes. There is power in the spirit of God. People say, well, 
Don't, shouldn't we shelter in place? Look, I'm all for sheltering if we need to. If that's what's necessary, then so be it. But I will say this. It is vital that we do not allow sheltering to turn into disintegrating. Because I, and I must tell you, I fear already the devil has gone out there and gotten some of these little lambs, some of these sheep that are out there all by themselves. They don't have the benefit of the connection of God's people or maybe a large family, and they're all by themselves. Look, the church of God was a visible church. Now, people say, well, there's, a, there's an invisible group of the church. Yes, there is. But every time in Scripture, God talks about churches, almost 90-whatever percent, He's talking about a local church, not the big church, the invisible church. People always talk about the church as though it's this big, look, the great overwhelming amount of Scripture is about local churches. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. Look at the power in a local church. To the intent now that the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church. Paul was talking to the church at Ephesus. Your church has a purpose, and that is to declare to the principalities and to declare to the powers the manifold wisdom of God. Now, when our church meets together at 9.30 or 10.30 or 6, the church emerges. Now, we didn't know who we were until we all emerge. We didn't know we were. And when we see each other, we're not only seeing each other, but the devils are seeing us. They're not omniscient. They don't know who we are until they see us. That's why when you go to church, you're going to probably be attacked because they see you as the church now. The demons say, oh, that's a churchgoer. And so it says here, Paul said, you as a church declare to the unseen principalities, you declare the manifold wisdom of God. There is something that goes on in church that nothing else can come close to, not a Bible study, not an online presence, nothing. When the church comes together, you say, oh, look at that. That's us. That's us. It's kind of like a snapshot. You see, maybe when you were in high school, you were part of the swim team, or maybe you were, you know, part of the cooking class, and you see this picture. Oh, I remember old Joan, and I remember, he's, oh, that's us. That's a snapshot of us. When we come together, it's kind of like this wonderful snapshot. Over here, there's this beautiful young, fresh-faced 16-year-old young man throwing his head back, singing at the top of his lungs, how great thou art. Next to him is a beautiful 80-year-old grandmother over here. There's people of all nationalities. I mean, the other day, we, uh, not too long, we tried to figure out how many different people groups we have in our church. We counted almost 20, Vietnamese and Honduras and Viet and uh, Filipino and you name it. I mean, there's people from all walks of life. It's amazing. That's what a church does. And we gather together this wonderful snapshot, this beautiful visible group that declares to the demons whose side we're on. And that's the best thing to do in a fight. You better let everybody know whose side you're on. Don't be a secret disciple because you're going to get uh, stuck in the back. No, at least you want your enemy coming at you from the front. If you don't, if you don't declare a side, they're going to come at you from both sides. You can just say, I'm with God's people. I'm with the church of God. 
and the demons are going to come after us, but thank God we are there to say there is nothing like a gathering of God's people. It leaves the world speechless. It, de- it makes the devils tremble, and it makes liberals furious. And I'm all for it. Just meet together and let them know that we are the church of God, and we gather together, and we declare the manifold wisdom of God. Amen. You know, I'm, I'm amazed at our many officials today wringing their hands about the racial tensions in our country. What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? Um, well, I got one suggestion for you. Instead of trying to keep people out of church, maybe you ought to try to get people into church so they can pray together. That would help right there. Amen? I mean, seriously. Let's get everybody together and pray together. That solves, that, that solves the racial tensions when people get born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. A church, nothing like it. A gathering, nothing like it. A church that doesn't gather is not a church. By the very essence of the word itself, it it means assembling. It means gathering. The church is a beehive of activity. The home church is like this amazing, beautiful place of all kinds of action going on. It has been. It still is. Apiaris tell us that bees can show us the power of gathering. Ever wondered why those big boxes of bees are buzzing so much, and then you go by in the hot weather, and they're just absolutely, it sounds like this big old giant buzzing going on. In any hive, they say that 50% of the bees are flapping their wings to create air conditioning. The other 50% are out getting the pollen, the nectar, doing all they're doing, and then they switch. A beehive, a beehive of activity, everybody knowing their job getting the job done. Folks, that's the church of God. May we be a beehive for God, just everybody doing their part, a place where we gather together, becoming a spiritual power. May God bless us today. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.